Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the riches of the fair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me, that your soul may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and the nations, excuse me, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return empty, uh, empty to me but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree and instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Thanks, Nate. Praise God for his word, right? You can be seated. I think we should clap for God's words. I mean, it says the hills are clapping, right? Uh, in verse 12, the mountains and the hills before you shall break into singing. All the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Of course, every time I read that, I think about that veggie tales, you know, where the peas are clapping and they go, who's clapping? We don't have any hands. How are we doing this? Uh, <laughs> I always love that, you know, when you use metaphor, right? Uh, I love this passage. This passage is one of the most incredible passages. Uh, it's, it's exciting. It's, it's, I hope that when you get done reading this passage and we study it together here in the next 20, 30 minutes, that as we think about this passage together, that you will go away from here so pumped about God. Now, Isaiah starts out, uh, and in fact, he asks a question. The question is actually in verse 2. And so I want to start in verse 2, even though he doesn't start there. This is his 16th sermon. If you'll remember the structure of the book, the first half of the book is dealing with judgment, and then you have this little historical section in there, and then starting at chapter 40 to 66, 
You have a section on comfort. You have a section on hope. And that section on hope is 27 of Isaiah's sermons. 27 sermons that he has given. And this is number 16 out of those 27. In this message, he asks a question, pivotal question, key question. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? He tells us, he asks us, why do we spend our money and how we labor? What do we labor for? What are we working for? What am I spending my money on? That which is not bread, so bread is the sustenance of life, so what is not bread? Everything else. Why am I spending money on all that other stuff? Well, that's nothing wrong with it. In fact, Paul says in 2 Timothy that, that uh, he says, instruct the rich in this world not to get all tied up in riches, right? And it, but he does say to enjoy the good things that God has given us, but to be generous and ready to share. And, and you look at this and you say, why do we spend our money for that which is not bread? He's asking that key question. So these, these questions come across as negative. That's why I told you at the very beginning, he ends in a good place. Just know he's going to ask the tough questions at the beginning. Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? And I, when I first read that, I thought, Isaiah, how do you know what satisfies me? How do you know what satisfies the people I'm going to be speaking to today? And so I went online, you know, when you want uh, truth, right, you go and Google it, right? Because <laughs> everything on the internet is true, right? Not. Uh, but they do, there are some interesting things here. And one of the things that it did is it gave me uh, this list of like 30 things that satisfy. And I just wrote down a few of them. Sleeping in on a rainy day. Yeah, I, I, I hear an amen on that one, right? <laughs> Finding money you didn't know you had. You open a drawer, hey, there's a $20 bill here. Where are we going to go eat, right? Let's spend our money on bread. I don't know, not bread. Uh, hearing, the, uh, uh, hearing the right song at the right moment. Have you ever had that happen to you? Where you just, you're down or discouraged or something, then this song came on, you're just like, man, I needed that song. I needed that. The pull-through parking space, always a winner. The feeling you get when your idea actually works. And you can say, see, I told you. To whoever really cares. Um, a beautiful view. We've been thinking about going like Grand Canyon on a vacation and Bryce Canyon and Arches. So we started watching some of these videos of that. Oh man, incredible views. What satisfaction is there of that? Receiving an unexpected compliment. Having a good laugh. The feeling after a healthy workout. Holding hands with someone you love. Finishing what you started. And I was thinking, there's all sorts of things that satisfy. So Isaiah, how, how can you ask that question? Laboring for that which does not satisfy. Achievement, pleasure, travel, ownership, helping others. I mean, I think of all these different things that give us satisfaction in life. So how can he ask this question? Well, he's not talking about those things. He's talking about ultimate satisfaction. Those give temporary satisfaction, right? He's talking about ultimate satisfaction in life. Why do we labor for, and, and we don't at least include in the things that we labor for, ultimate meaning in life. Now having said that, 
I saw a uh, TikTok. I'm not a big TikToker guy, or I don't know how you say it, but uh, but I uh, there was a guy named Abraham Piper. You may recognize that last name, John Piper's son. He's one that's not walking with the Lord. In fact, has walked away from the Lord, and is in fact becoming almost an evangelist against the Lord. And so Abraham Piper. When he talked about ultimate meaning, he said, ultimate meaning is pointless or meaningless. And then he gives this illustration. He says, if you're going to play, if you're going to record, say, a game on TV, maybe it's a soccer game or a football game, basketball, whatever game, and then you happen to find out, you got it all recorded, you happen to find out how the game ends, all of a sudden you don't really want to watch your recording, right? Because you know how it turns out. He says that's the way it is in life. You know how it's going to turn out if you have ultimate meaning and therefore it makes meaning, uh, life meaningless. Problem with his view is, well, death kind of, you know, we kind of know how that's going to go, right? I mean, uh, last time I read the statistics show about 100%, you know, for all of us, right? So we know that death happens. It's going to occur. So you know the end. And, and I think he would probably be okay with that. In fact, he did all these hashtags, hashtag absurdism, Hashtag existentialism, which means living in the here and now. Hashtag nihilism, which means there's no real meaning to life. Hashtag optimistic nihilism, which I thought, well, isn't, isn't that an oxymoron? How can you have optimistic, no meaning? That doesn't make any sense to me. Hashtag atheism, I mean, he had all these different things. And I was thinking, uh, you know, his view on life is very skewed, right? He'd begin, but here's the deal. If there is no God, then he's probably right. But if there is a God, and I believe there is, then God gives meaning to life. He even gives meaning to our suffering. And so the only question is, is does he exist? How do you prove that? Well, I can't show you God. So are there some logical reasons to believe that there is a God and that, the, uh, that he exists? Yeah, you're all sitting here. It's cause and effect, design. Your bodies are intricately designed. An explosion doesn't cause intricate design. It causes destruction. Your life was designed by a heavenly creator who caused us to be, caused you and me to be. And one proof of that is that in your mind, God placed within you this concept of himself. And you think, oh, well, that was just my culture that kind of gave me, I grew up in a culture that talks about God. I can take you to a culture where it hasn't been around people ever, other people, this tribe that's off by itself, and they have a concept of something higher than themselves. Where do they get that? They've never seen it? Because he exists. And because he placed within us when he created us, himself, and a desire for a better world than what we even have here. Where do we get that? That's a, God has placed in us this desire for himself. And it's only satisfied when we're with him. There is ultimate meaning to life. And that ultimate meaning is found in God. And that's Isaiah's point. And so 
one of the reasons that I know that is that he's talking about eternity. It's a couple of times he mentions eternity in this, this one sermon. He mentions it, you see, in verse 3. He says, I will make with you an everlasting covenant. He's talking about eternity. Everlasting covenant. He talks about it in verse 12. An everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. If you look at chapters 40 to 66, you see everlasting used quite a few times. I'm just going to read them off. I won't give you all the references. But in Isaiah 40, everlasting God. 45, everlasting salvation. 51, everlasting joy. Also a couple of other times he uses that. Everlasting love, which is the word hesed, which means this covenant love of God. Everlasting sign in 55 that we looked at. Everlasting name and everlasting light. He's talking about everlasting. He's looking at eternity. He's looking at beyond this life, not just this life. And so that's how I know he's talking about way more. And so what does he tell us we need to do? How do we answer this question about that which satisfies? He gives us four points. I'm going to tell you what they are right now. In verse 1, he says, come. In verse 2, at the end of the verse, he says, listen. In verse 6, he says, seek. And then in verse 12, he says, go out. Let's look at those and see what he has to say. He starts out and he says, come. It's an invitation to us. Come. Jesus uses that invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come. And he says, come everyone. Is he only talking to the Jews here? Because, I mean, this book, after all, is encouraging them that they're going to be taken out of Babylon. Well, we see this everlasting covenant in verse 3. It says, my steadfast, sure love for David. So that sounds like Israel, right? Sounds like the, the covenant that he, the Davidic covenant we see in 2 Samuel 7 and verse 16, where he says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so this forever king, so he's talking about more than David. He's talking about the Messiah who's to come. He's talking about Jesus. The name we sang about, the name that is above every name, he's talking about Jesus here. This everlasting covenant, that covenant that Jesus said with his disciples, this is a new covenant in my blood. He's talking about the everlasting covenant. But he's also talking to the Gentiles because you see in verse 5, he says, Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. And a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God, of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. And I think that's still talking about this Messiah. That he is glorified, that he was resurrected from the dead. That, that this is something that is for all peoples. Come everyone who thirsts. Reminds us of Jesus in John 7. 37. In fact, I think I have that verse on, if you'll throw that one up on the screen. John 7, 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. At the point in that feast, when they brought the water from the, from the Kidron Spring, and they would bring this water, they, or they would dip it, it, it went into the, uh, from the Kidron Spring down into a pool, they would dip it out of the pool, they would make this holy procession, they'd have this beautiful pitcher of water, and as they poured it out, Jesus is saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, that's the key. Belief in Jesus, that's, that's what he's talking about. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. You look at this passage and you see this idea, if anyone thirsts and you see, that's what Isaiah is saying. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, come to me and drink. He's talking about water. That, that picture there was Jesus thinking about this passage. He had to be. We love to come to the waters. We love to go to beaches. We love to go to lakes. We go, love to go to rivers. We love to boat. We love to fish. We love all, swimming. All the things that are associated with water, right? The most expensive homes are where? Waterfront property. Whether it's the oceans or wherever it is. We love to come to water. He says, come to me. Come to come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. He who has no money... Come buy and eat. You kind of go, what? You have no money. How can you come buy and eat? Come buy wine and milk. How can you do that? Without money and without price. When God gives, he gives generously. He gives to his people. What does he give us? Waters and wine, a lot of times in scripture refer to the spirit of God. I think that that may be where Jesus is talking about here. If he's thinking about this passage God gives salvation away. When I was growing up, I thought I had to earn it. I thought I had to be good enough to get to heaven. And when I blew it, I thought, man, I'm out. God has thrown me out. And I got to somehow get back into his good graces because I messed up. No, that's not what scripture's talking about. Scripture says, without money, without price. And he also says in verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And I love the NIV version, freely pardon. He freely pardons. Why is he freely pardoned? Because he freely gives salvation away. And once you are saved, you are his. And guess what? He doesn't throw his children away. He doesn't give his children away. He doesn't walk away from him and say, I'm done with you. God does not do that. Would you ever do that to one of your kids? No. You don't throw them away. You love them. You pray for them. You can't stop thinking about them. Do you think God throws his children away? No. He loves us with an everlasting love. Hesed, everlasting love everlasting covenant it's everlasting what he's done for us and then he asks his questions right so if that's true and you come to him why are you laboring for that which doesn't satisfy he says listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food incline your ear come to me here that your soul may live that your soul may live. He wants us to listen to him. He wants us to come to him, even when we don't have anything to offer him, because he gives freely. He wants us to listen to him. And notice what he talks about later in this, in this sermon. He says, so shall my word be, verse 11, that goes out from my mouth. What are we listening for? Him. His voice, his 
words. Listen diligently. It doesn't mean that we listen just casually. Maybe we take notes. Maybe we underline. If you ever saw my Bible, you would think, I mean, look at this. You know, I mean, I've drawn lines. I'm underlining. I'm try- I want to diligently understand God's word. And so when I go over a passage, you can tell I've gone over it. You may have to grab another Bible that I had earlier because this may be a passage. It's an underline. You look at the last one. Oh, yeah, he underlined it in that one. Because I want to know God's thoughts. I want to know what he thinks. I want to know what he loves. I want to know what he cares about and what he wants me to do. I want to hear that he loves me. I want to hear those words. You want to hear those daily, don't you, from your spouse, from a friend. You want to hear, I love you. I care about you. We read his word on a daily basis and we hear that he loves us with a love that's incredible that we can't even begin to imagine. We mess up. He still loves us. We, we, we make a mistake. He still loves us. We walk away from us, him. He still loves us and he reaches out to us like the prodigal son, uh, the father to the prodigal son. He loves us. This is his love letter to us. One of our members uh, posted on Facebook this deal, why, why I don't read the Bible. And gave all these reasons why we don't typically read the Bible. Um, it's, he, uh, this person said uh, in the article, typical reasons, I don't have the time. Though I really have so little. Because I don't understand. Though I really do lack understanding. Because I cannot focus enough with all the vi- that vies for my attention. Though often I find myself unable to finish the simplest of tasks before called to another. Nor due to the lack of discipline, though clearly I have much to grow in this department. Says coming to the living word of God somehow becomes burdensome and obligatory. And it kind of shames us that we I even read that, right? That the word of God that we kind of do it because you know, we're supposed to. I'm supposed to read the Bible. But then the author said, but then concluded that the real reason is we do not remember that God loves us. And his word is a love letter written to us. Wow. That changes our motivation. Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord. Who, he who created you, O Jacob. He who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Wow. That touches my heart when I read the words. Our God loves us. So when I'm reading his word, I'm reading of his love for me. His love for my family. His love for our church family. Incline our ear. Come to me here that your soul may live. And talking about the Messiah, he says, Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the people. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, a nation that did not you did not know, shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. And then he says, seek the Lord. So we come to him, we listen to him, and now we seek him. Jesus says, seek and you will find. That's pretty much what Isaiah says here. Seek the Lord while he may be found. 
Call upon him while he is near. When is he near? All the time. When may he be found? Always. It's not, what he's not asking us to do is something that's unattainable. He's asking us to simply seek him and to forsake our way. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And we go, oh yeah, that person needs to, no, we're all that person. You don't need to go, oh, that unrighteous person is somebody else or nudge your, you know, the person next to you, oh, you need to listen to this one. This is for you. Because <laughs> it says he abundantly pardons. He abundantly forgives us. Not a little forgiveness, not just barely forgives us. Okay, I'll forgive you this time. Abundant forgiveness. But notice it says way and thoughts are in regard to the wicked and the unrighteous. But then you have my ways, my thoughts, talking about the Lord in verse uh, 8. And and then uh, my ways are higher than the the earth. Uh, My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts than your thoughts. And so this idea of ways and thoughts kind of goes through this section. And at first you read this. And in the past I've read it and I thought, oh, yeah, you're right. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. My thoughts are stupid. Yours are great right? And I'll never achieve your thoughts. That's not what Isaiah is saying here. He, what he's saying is, you want to be, you want to have your mind blown? You want to, you want to have thoughts that are way more than you could ever imagine? Read God's thoughts. That's why the next thing he talks about is the word. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, And do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You want higher thoughts? Read his word. If his thoughts are truly higher than our thoughts, then we need to just read his words and have our minds blown about, our, about his thoughts. I mean, think about that. We think about motivating us to uh, read God's word, right? And, and the motivation is, okay, you, you, should, you, you should read God's word. You ought to, ought to read God's word. And we're kind of, oh yeah, I, I know I should. I feel bad I, I didn't this morning or whatever, right? We feel guilty about it. It's because we're driven, our motivation is duty and ought and must and should. But when we realize what is contained here, a love letter from God, do you feel like each day when you wake up, you need somebody just tell tell you, I love you? Do you need to hear God say in every morning to you or every evening to you, I just want you to know something, I love you. It's here. This is where he says it. And if his thoughts are truly higher than my thoughts and I want to get his thoughts, here they are. Read them. Memorize them. Think about them. Meditate on them. And here's the interesting thing you may say, and I had somebody this week even, as I was texting back and forth, they said, well, I really struggle with kind of the areas of theology or I'm kind of growing in it. I don't, you know, there's a lot I don't know. And I'm thinking, tell me about it. I didn't tell them that. I, you know, as a pastor, I kind of want to act like, oh yeah, I I understand your plight, right? (laughs) 
No, we, we all deal with that. None, I mean, we have a God that is so amazing, so profound, so everlasting that there's no way I could know him in his totality. I'm a limited, finite being trying to understand the unlimited. Guess what? There's going to be a, lot, a whole lot of mystery. A whole lot that's not quite explained that one day we'll get an answer to, right? We're all in that boat. So if I want to understand the unlimited that I can't see and he tells me what he's like, guess what? I read his word and my thoughts are going to be higher. And so the question that Isaiah is asking is, why are you laboring for that which is lower, that doesn't satisfy? Why are you going for stuff and spending your money on stuff that's not bread? It's not life-giving. Spend your money, spend your life on that which is life-giving, that which causes your soul to live, as he says in verse 3. And it means spending time in his word. That's a whole different motivation. I read his word so that I can come to him, so that I can listen diligently, so that my soul may live, so that I can seek him while he is found and while he is near, that I can understand about his abundant pardon whenever I'm feeling awful about myself. He comes along and says, I've forgiven you, my child. I love you. And I want to walk with you. I want to be near you. And you go, nobody wants to be near me. I'm not sure I want to be even near myself. I'm not even proud of myself. All these things that our, our inner being is telling us, and we, we think, am I going to believe that about me, or am I going to believe his words about me? My concept of me it may be lower than his concept of me. I can tell you what. I would guess, I would wager a guess that every one of us in 2020 had lower thoughts, right? Thoughts of stress, thoughts of, of uh, that, that, we, that, that we're struggling, that we're, we're not feeling good about ourselves, that we're worried about the future. All these different thoughts that are lower thoughts, God wants to give us higher thoughts. He wants us to understand, here's what I believe about you. Here's how I can help you through times of stress. Here's how I can be for you. And Isaiah is simply saying, you want to come? You want to listen to those words that he speaks. You want to diligently listen to his love for you. You want to seek the Lord and you want to go out in joy and in peace. Verse 12, for you shall go out in joy, be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. What joy, what peace. And then he talks about the future. You know, the thorn and the briar, those are caused by the fall in Eden. And when the thorn and briar stops growing... And the cypress and the myrtle grow in their place. Guess what? We're in a different day. We're going to be in the day of either the millennium or the new heavens and new earth. So he's looking way beyond at this point. There's going to come a time when Jesus rules over all. And the briar and the, and the thorn uh, are going to be gone. Yes, amen. I can't wait till that day. But until then, I want to know his thoughts. I want us to know his thoughts. I want us to embrace who he is. Because it makes a difference. It's not a pointless life that we live. When I think about what Abraham Piper said, I was thinking, you know, just because I know how something may turn out doesn't mean I shouldn't do it. If I see one of you drowning in a, in a pond, 
I can know that I'm going to be able to get in this boat and get to you before you go under and pull you out. Is it pointless for me to do so, even though I know the outcome? No, it's not. Knowing outcomes makes the story that much more interesting. He's already told us the end from the beginning so that we can find encouragement and find hope. That we know that there's going to be a day where the, the thorn will not come up anymore and the cypress will take its place and the briar won't come up anymore but the myrtle there's gonna come that day and until then we walk with him until then we seek him we listen to him we come to him and we go out in peace and enjoy what an incredible message from Isaiah he gives us words of encouragement words of hope words of the thoughts of God Lord, we come to you this morning and we are so blown away by who you are. We are so blown away by the fact that, that you give us eternity in our hearts so that we'll seek the eternal one. This longing for the eternal one is in, deep within us. This longing for a better world, it's deep within us. And it's a longing for heaven. It's a longing for you. The everlasting God who has an everlasting covenant that gives us everlasting joy and peace with an everlasting sign, and that sign is Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people that read your word diligently, that we listen to you and we follow you, not because we ought to, but because we can't wait to. I pray that we would wake up every morning craving your word like we crave breakfast. I pray that we would crave you, nearness to you. You desire to be near us. And Lord, we thank you for that. You don't push us away. You abundantly, abundantly forgive. You freely forgive. And you want us as we're thirsty for you, that we would just come to you. Lord, we're going to have a baptism here in a minute and hear the testimony of someone who who did what you said, that responded to your invitation. And I'm so excited about that. And Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here that is thirsty but hasn't come to you, that they would come to you now too. That they would come to you and just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. And as you said, whoever believes in me from his inner being, living water will flow. Lord, I pray for that living water to flow. And I pray that these folks would ask and say and tell you, I believe in you. I believe in Jesus. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this love letter you've given us. Help us to read it because we can't wait to hear your words. Help us to read it and have our minds blown by your thoughts over our thoughts. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we worship you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.